Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Back in the middle of April, we began a series looking at Matthew chapters 11 and 12, seeing the response of the very first people who interacted with Jesus in his earthly ministry, the first responders, if you will, to his message. And we've been looking at their responses to see what we could learn from their actions or inaction. And we walked through that series at the end of April and the beginning of May. And in the last couple of weeks, we've taken a break because we've had a couple of topical messages with Mother's Day and our Senior Recognition Sunday. But today we're going to be back in Matthew chapter 12 to wrap up the First Responders series by looking at verses 33 through 50 together. And that's where we're going to be. But before we open up God's Word together to see that, I want to just remind us of a reality that that all of us experience. And that reality is this. We choose which messages to respond to, don't we? We choose which messages to respond to. In other words, we live in a world where a number of messages are coming our way, and at times we choose to engage, and at times we choose to ignore One of the clearest expressions of this is the telephone. You know, in 2018, we have this wonderful thing called caller ID. And so we can look on a box or we can look on our cell phone and it can tell us who is on the other end before we ever hit the green or the red button. Now, I want to ask you for a moment, who do you hit the red button on? All of us have done it. I'm going to say I haven't done it to any of you in this room, okay? First service, whole different story. But you all, we're all good, okay? Um, But you know, at times a call comes in from a telemarketer and we just hit nope, right? A call, a number comes in we don't recognize maybe, nope. but, But who do we answer? Who do we hit the green button on? If mom calls, which button do you hit? Oh, no. (laughs) If your boss calls, which number do you hit? (laughs) Y'all are ornery, all right? I'm going to change what I said about you guys. No, who it is who is contacting us impacts how we respond, doesn't it? There are some messages that we answer. There are some that we don't. There are other just stimulus in our world that we just choose to ignore because it maybe doesn't fully pertain to us. You know, this last week, my son was wrapping up fifth grade, and they had fifth grade graduation or fifth grade recognition. And you know, when around that time, a number of different people will give gifts to different students, and, and you know, we did not require, we did not talk about, we didn't ask Josh, our son, to write a thank you card to any of the people who gave gifts to his friends, Right? Why? Because it didn't pertain to him. But when grandma and grandpa give him a gift, we encourage him to respond to that message. See, there are some messages in the world that we respond to and others that we don't. Now, here's the connection that I want us to make today at a spiritual level. When it comes to the message of Jesus Christ, do we answer it? Knowing who he is, knowing 
the fact that he is the one that created all things, knowing that he's the one who gave his life on the cross to die for our sins, knowing those things, when, when his message comes to us, do we hit the green button or do we hit the red? Do we receive it or do we ignore it? Friends, inside of Matthew chapters 11 and 12, we've seen a number of different responses, many of them red button responses to the message of Jesus Christ. And as we gather here today, friends, I, it's my desire that none of us hit the red button to Jesus any longer, but that all of us see the message that he has for us today and that we receive it by faith. We're going to see that today by looking at Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 50. And in these 17 verses this morning, we're going to see three things about our response to Jesus Christ. Well, what do we see? The first thing that I want us to see is this. Our response to Jesus matters. Our response to Jesus matters. Now, we see this in the first few verses of our section. But before we look at those verses, it's important for us to get the context and to remember the context of Matthew chapter 12. You see, in in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has been doing ministry in a very small region of the world. Remember, about a month ago, we talked about how so many of Jesus's miracles and his teachings had been concentrated in one little area, about the size of the distance between here to Target to OU and back. The feeding of the 5,000, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, healing of so many people, all had transpired in a very small region of the earth. And yet, even though people had seen this revelation of Jesus Christ, many, including the scribes and the Pharisees, had rejected him. And earlier on in chapter 12 and some verses that Bruce walked us through just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we saw that they, they watched Jesus perform these miracles and they made this incredible statement. They said, we see that what you're doing is powerful, but we're going to assume that it must be the work of Satan and not of God. And in so doing that, they demonstrated the depth of their rejection of Jesus Christ. And that was a rejection that was possible really only in in one era in what is called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. People who actually saw that presentation of Jesus' earthly ministry and rejected it, saying it was the work of Satan. That happened with this one group. But right after that interaction, where they reject Jesus in such a profound way, Jesus begins to teach a little more about the topic of rejection. And what we see is a significant message for you and I. And that message is that our response to Jesus matters. Now we see this unfold for us in verses 33 through 37. Jesus is talking and he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be 
condemned. So Jesus in these verses is talking about how our response to him matters. He concludes this section by saying that our response to him will either lead to our justification, our salvation, our invitation into heaven, or it will lead to our condemnation, falling under the judgment of God and being separated from him forever in hell. Our response to Jesus is what leads to that. And Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says that we will know what side of that judgment we are on by the words that come out of our mouths. Now, that sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? That we would be judged by the words that come out of our mouth at that extreme of a level. In other words, there might be a murderer, there might be an adulterer, there might be a thief who would be in heaven forever, but somebody else is not there because of what they say. That sounds fairly dramatic, doesn't it? But the reason why Jesus could say that is because he understood the connection between our mouths and our hearts. In other words, when we open our mouths, Jesus said it is out of the overflow of our heart that our mouth is speaking. Our mouths reveal to the world around us and many times even to ourselves what we truly believe. That's what Jesus' point was. And so when we think about judgment or salvation, it is tied to what is on the interior of our life at the level of our belief. And when we open our mouth, we merely are clarifying the things that we hold dear on the inside. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. Charles Spurgeon, summarizing this passage, says it this way, that which is in the well comes up in the bucket. Now, is that a great picture or what? That which is in the well comes up in the bucket. In other words, there is an interior life that is made up of what we believe. And when we open our mouths to speak, it is as though there is a bucket that is going down into our soul and coming back up with something that is then revealed to the world. Jesus is not just saying that their problem was how they were talking about him. He is saying that how they talk about him reveals what they really believe about him. It is on the basis of that belief that we find ourselves either saved or judged. That's the point that Jesus is making here. Our response to Jesus matters. Now, friends, let's just think about this for a moment. What is your response to Jesus? And let me go a little further. What does what you say about Jesus reveal about what you believe about Jesus? If somebody were to take a transcript of your conversations and your prayers and your thoughts and lay them out in front of you, and we were to, like a forensic detective, look at those words to reveal what we believe, what would we find? If the the bucket goes down into our soul and comes out through our mouths, what does it reveal about what we believe about the person of Jesus Christ? Friends, if, if when we think about and when we communicate about Jesus, we talk about the fact that he is Lord but he is God. We're revealing this truth that we believe that he is in a supreme position over us. 
when we talk about the need for forgiveness and our thankfulness for what he has done for us on the cross, we're revealing that at a core level in our soul, we believe that we are sinners in need of God's grace, in need of his provision. And if those are the kinds of things that are coming out of our mouths about the person of Christ, then we're revealing a heart and a soul that has embraced him as Lord and Savior, and thus salvation is connected. You know, it reminds me of Romans chapter 10 that says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. It's the connection between our mouths and our souls. When we open our mouths and the, the bucket goes down and delivers what is in our soul, what comes out? Is it those kinds of things or is it something else? When we open our mouths about the person of Christ, instead of talking about him as our Lord and the Son of God and the Savior of our sins and the one who assures our eternity, do we talk about him merely as a man, a historical figure, a, a good teacher, See, the challenge with those things is we're reflecting and addressing him just as one among many, not as the one and the only. If that is our response, it's leading us in a wrong direction. When the the bucket goes into the well, what is coming out on the outside? If we talk about Jesus as one that we merely need to impress in order to attain eternal life, then, friends, we are failing to understand the depth of our need before him. Our response about Jesus matters. As his call has come to us, are we hitting the green button of faith or are we hitting the red button of rejection? There's real consequences on the other side of that decision. Jesus is reminding us of that as he talks in these first few verses. But the second thing I think that we see is something significant, and that is this. If our response to Jesus matters, know that we should anchor our response to reality. We should anchor our response to reality. In other words, Jesus does not leave us merely to our imagination or to our emotion to determine who he is and how we should respond. But he has anchored the revelation of who he is to reality, to history, to something that we can see and understand so that we might make an appropriate determination about who he is. We see this first in verse 33. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. In other words, this is what Jesus is is getting at here. He says, I have been doing this ministry in front of you, and I've I've healed these people, and I've taught with authority, and I've demonstrated compassion. I've fed the 5,000. I've I've raised people from the dead. I've, I've made straight the crooked hand. He goes through all of that. He says, that is good fruit that is a reminder that I am good. It's what Jesus says. It's not the work of Satan. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Son of God. Jesus is reminding them to to take a look around at who he is, who has revealed himself to be, and make a determination 
based on that. He doesn't say, who I am is this massive secret. Just look at me and then guess. He says, no, look at me and see the fruit that has come out of my ministry and out of my life and understand who I am connected to. That's what Jesus says. It's not a blind leap of faith to embrace Jesus as the Son of God. He came in history. He did not live in a closet. He lived among people who recorded his works so that thousands of years later, you and I might read and know of them. The tree is known by its fruit. But even though he had lived out his life among them and had done these miracles, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they still had their, their issues, Right? What do they say in verse 38? It says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, let me just ask you for a moment. Is that a little odd to you? Teacher, we just need to see one more sign. Now, if you had been sitting in the audience around that day, watching this interaction between the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus, how might you have answered that question? Well, my guess is Carla would raise her hand, and Carla would say, well, what about that virgin birth thing? How about that one? Does that that sign count okay? No, and Kelly might go, no, no, no. How about all of the prophecies, all of the prophecies that that were fulfilled at at the birth of Jesus? And Jeff might say, hey, how about the star? Remember the star that was there? And and Rachel might say, you know, what about all of these miracles, the feeding of the 5,000? And Carla might say, how about the walking on the water thing, you know, and go through all these. We can come up with so many things that we would say as a sign, and yet the scribes and the Pharisees say, could you give us a sign now? What does that tell you about them? Was that a sincere question? No, I don't think it was a sincere question. I think they were saying, you're not enough. We reject you, and they're, you know, this, all this other stuff, yeah, whatever. They just just acted as though it didn't even exist. Could you give us a sign? Well, Jesus answers them in verse 39 and says, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus says, hey, guess what? There's going to be at least a couple of more signs that will come to you, but they're not the ones that you're thinking. The first sign that Jesus says that will be in addition to everything they had seen was the sign of Jonah. Now, what was the sign of Jonah? Well, Jesus is running a parallel with Jonah. Remember Jonah from the Old Testament? Jonah from the Old Testament who God said, go to Nineveh and Tell them that they need to repent of their sins because their wickedness has made its way before the Lord. And what does Jonah do? Does Jonah go straight there? No, Jonah takes off and runs the opposite direction. But God gets Jonah back to Nineveh. How? With an Uber. 
No, he, he gets him back there with this water taxi of a fish, right? And Jonah then is spit up on the shore and he goes and he preaches to the Ninevites and through that whole experience, the Ninevites hear the message and they repent of their sins. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, the Ninevites repented because somebody came out of a fish. Guess what? I'm getting ready to come out of the grave. But the Ninevites repented. I'm not so sure you will. That's the message of what Jesus is saying to these folks in this time. And and how absurd is that? Because Jesus is so much greater than Jonah. I mean, just think about, let's compare the two for a moment. Let's compare Jesus and Jonah in terms of their person. Jonah, a man. Jesus, the Son of God. Let's compare them in terms of their obedience. Jonah disobeyed. Jesus, perfect obedience inside of his life. Let's compare them in terms of power. Jonah did not die, just survived in the belly of the fish. Jesus did die, but was resurrected from the grave. And then let's think about the scope of their ministry. Jonah went to one city, but Jesus was the Savior of the world. Jesus rightly says, there is somebody here so much greater than Jonah. But the Gentile Ninevites, they repented. I don't think that you will. Jesus gives another example. He gives the example of Solomon, the the wise king of Israel, that the queen of Sheba, the queen from the south, came to him to to, to hear uh, wisdom from him. And Jesus said, hey, that, that Gentile queen, she came when wisdom was taught. And somebody far greater than Solomon is here. I mean, we could do a similar diagram of Solomon, right? Jesus far greater than Solomon. And Jesus said, as I am delivering wisdom, my suspicion is that you won't repent and follow me like the queen of Sheba did. Friends, what Jesus was saying was, God has given us sufficient evidence in this world to respond to Jesus with the green button. He's given us sufficient evidence. He's given us signs. And though we sit here 2,000 years later, the same signs that Jesus referred to there are still true for us today. Jesus gives the sign of the empty tomb. And he says, because his tomb is empty, you can know that he is who he said he was, the Son of God. And guess what? That evidence, that sign is still available to you and I today. If we were to pack up right now and go to Israel together, we could go and look for the tomb of Jesus. And you know what? It'd be difficult for us to say with 100% certainty which tomb it was. You know why? There's no body in it. Why? Because on the third day, Jesus walked out of it, never to return again. And the empty tomb is a verification, a sign that reveals to us that we need to hit the green button. But he doesn't just give the sign of the tomb. He gives the sign of his teaching. That's what this whole thing is with Solomon, the wisdom that Jesus gave. 
Guess what, friends? When you hold the Word of God in your hands, if you've got a Bible in your hands, just kind of hold it up. If, if you've got your, your, your phone or your iPad, that's cool too. Just hold it up. That counts. Um, this is God's Word. If you want a sign as to the reality of who He is, it's sitting in your hands. His tomb and His teaching are the signs that are given to reveal to us that He is the Son of God that we respond to in faith. I don't know how many of you have ever done this. You've ever had this moment where you've said, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. God, if you really care about me, you will do blank. You know how Jesus answers that? Jesus answers that and says, there are two signs that you have access to. The reminder of an empty tomb and the preservation of my teaching. Signs pointing you to who I am. That we would hit the green button in faith and believe him. We can anchor our response to reality. But the third thing that I want us to see is this. The third thing we see is that we are to respond to Jesus by inviting him in and following his lead. Respond to Jesus by inviting him in and following his lead. Now, we see this in the last number of verses in our section today, from verse 43 down through verse 50. Now, these are two little vignettes that at first glance we might not see their connection to the previous verses that we have read. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew included them here for a very important reason. And I hope that you'll see it also as we look at this here. See, Jesus, after talking about the importance of responding to him and and anchoring that response in reality, talks about what the nature of that response entails. And he does so beginning in verse 43 to 45, talking about this unclean spirit. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Now, friends, when you read that, I'm sure everybody in this room just quickly understands what that verse, those verses mean, right? Uh, these are some of the more challenging verses in this section of Matthew to understand. But I, I want to just maybe try to, to put a context around this. The first thing that I think is helpful for us to know is what is meant by an unclean spirit. It's talking here about a demon, a demonic influence or demonic possession of an individual is what is being referred to here. And as you remember, inside of Jesus' earthly ministry, he came to people who were possessed by demons, and he cast those demons out. Now, that is not something that was preferable for demons. It seems as though demons prefer to reside within humans because they want to wreak as much havoc on God's creation as they can. So they, they want to reside within a human. But when Jesus came to the earth, 
He affected this incredible change of walking up to somebody who was oppressed by a demon and casting that demon out. But Jesus seems to be indicating here that some of those who were healed of this demonic possession, some of those who found some freedom, at least temporarily, from the afflictions that they were facing, that it wasn't enough merely for them to have that temporary relief, that it left them in a vulnerable state where they still might be attacked again. And that's the idea of even though their life might be put in order, might be swept clean for a time, if something more significant doesn't happen, then the demons might come back and the last state for them might be worse than the first. It's as if Jesus was saying, there are those who I have helped, but who still are in need of more help. Warren Wiersbe says this, I think a helpful sentence about this passage. He says, it is not enough to clean house. We must also invite in the right tenant. See, Jesus didn't just come to cast out a demon. He did not just come to heal a withered hand. He did not just come to fill an empty stomach. Those things, though nice, those things that demonstrated his authority and his power, Jesus came to do something even greater than that. He came to move into our lives, to take up residence within us, to change us from the inside out. The only ultimate protection we have in eternity is not just to have some circumstance corrected, or tended to. But our only hope for eternity is to have Jesus do a transformative work on the interior of our lives. We need to invite him inside. That's what Jesus was saying. That's where there was protection. That's where there is hope. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 1 that at the moment that we believe in Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes and marks the interior of our lives. It, It seals us. It dwells within us. It's a reminder that we have the opportunity to not just have our house clean for a season, but to have God transform us from the inside out. That's what is offered for us in Christ. Jesus was offering us something greater. You know, many times our relationship with Jesus begins by finding ourselves in a difficult spot and asking, oh God, would you please help my child get well? Oh God, would you please help the surgery to go well? Oh God, would you please help there be enough money to pay the bills? And it was, we have these kinds of prayers and God begins to answer them in different ways. Here's what you need to know. Is that a sign of the compassion of our God? Yes. But God has something greater for you than just those things. He's offering to move into our lives and to transform us from the inside out, to give us a new heart and a new spirit, to invite us to be in his Father's house and be with him forever. Where is their protection? It's not found in God just taking care of the circumstances around us. It's found through the transformation of our souls in relating to him forever. Have you invited Christ into your life? Have you trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins? Jesus is saying that it's available. It's part of what it means to respond to him properly. And then he continues on 
And he says this in verses 46 through 50 in this interesting little endeavor with his, with his family. I think it's, I love this. He says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So you can imagine this scene. Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and, and things might be getting a little heated. I mean, he just called them snakes. Tough conversation. He just said that they were under condemnation. He just said this generation was evil. And his mom shows up, his brothers, and they're standing on the backside of the crowd. And word passes from the back of the crowd to the front of the crowd. Hey, Jesus, your, your family is here. Now, why did they come? Did they, they came to say, go get him, Jesus? Probably not, right? At least that's not the indication of the passage. I think they showed up to say, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you're uh, socially aware, but you're really making some very powerful people very mad. Why don't you just come with us? So go on back to Nazareth. You know, Mary's cooking her, you know, pot roast today or whatever it is. Um, let's have some dinner. Let's regroup. And yet Jesus looks at the crowd. He doesn't dishonor his mother. He doesn't ignore his brothers, but he says this. He replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. What was the point? What Jesus was saying was, he says, you don't tell me where to go. You don't tell me what to do. Why? Because he's the son of God. It would not have been kind for him to do something inappropriate and take him off of his mission that ultimately was to provide the opportunity for salvation to come to his people. We don't tell him where to go. He enlightens us, and we follow him. Not only to invite him on the interior of our lives, but to give him the wheel and say, take me where you want me to go. Friends, when the message of Jesus comes to you, are you hitting the green button or are you hitting the red? I want to end with one little story. And, and really, it's, it's tied in with this great, the second word of verse 50. For whoever, whoever. This is this great reminder and indication that Everybody in this room, everybody in the earlier service, everybody who has a Bible and picks it up and reads it is reminded we're a whoever, right? We're reminded that, that, that we matter to God and that he has a desire for us to hit the green button and respond to him in faith because we matter to him. And I was thinking about that in connection to uh, this fifth grade recognition ceremony at our school. Uh, this last week. And, and, and my wife has been a, a wonderful servant involved in, in so many things at that school. But one of the things that we were involved with was just getting some programs printed for that, for that program. And so we, we get these programs done, a couple hundred of them, and we're ready to go for the Tuesday night program. When we look inside the program, we realize that there is a name of a student that was missing. Now, now what do you do in that moment? You panic, right? Um, but what do you do next? Well, we, just a clerical error, but, but we, we didn't just wipe it away. We, we, we went and got some new 
programs printed, right, that had the names of all the kids. Why? Because what's the name of that child worth? He's worth a whole lot more than a few copies. Friends, Jesus Christ from all eternity is reaching out to you. Why? Because what are you worth? You're worth his death on the cross. Why is he delayed in his return to the earth? Second Peter would let us know because he is waiting for the last to repent and come back to him. What are we waiting for? We've been given the opportunity to trust him, to hit the green button, to invite him into our lives, to follow him forever. Have you done so? If not, what is holding you back? This is a message for you. It's a message for me, and we can respond today. Father God, thank you for just the the privilege of gathering and worshiping you today. Thank you for your word that just illuminates for us this reality that, that we need to respond to you. Father, thank you for the grace that you extend to us that even makes that step of faith possible. And I just want to pray right now for anybody in this room, um, Father, that, that, is, that is here today and have hit the red button towards you for too long. And Father, based on the reality of who you are revealed in history with the empty tomb and the authority of the teaching of Christ and all of his example, I pray that, that there would be every heart in this room that would be trusting you today not just for the circumstances of their life, but recognizing the depth of our need, that we would be inviting you into the interior of our lives to transform us into the image of your Son. Father, give us the faith to follow and believe in Jesus together today. We pray these things in his name. Amen.